various reasons. I want you to turn to John chapter 8. Our scripture reading will be John chapter 8, beginning at verse 34. John 8, 34. Let's stand together in respect for God's word. John 8, 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Who wants to be a slave to sin? Keeps you in bondage, keeps you in turmoil. The Bible says that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let me read verse 36 again. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I ask your anointing power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Speak through your word. Speak to our hearts. Bring transformation today, Lord. God, I thank you that you desire for us to have love, joy, and peace. And so we pray to that end for the purpose today of love, joy, and peace coming into lives, setting the captives free. I ask you to move in power. And we love you, God. I pray that you would give us humble receptive, tender hearts to receive what you want to say today and do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today's message is because of a dream that a woman in our church had about a month ago. And in that dream, she was having me over for dinner. Her family was having me for dinner, but instead of coming to the meal, I was upstairs cleaning a toilet. Thus, the prop today. She was a little annoyed by that, but I was very joyful in cleaning the toilet, very efficient in it, and she shared that dream with Andy Hines, who's one of my chief intercessors, and he felt he immediately had the interpretation of what that dream meant, and that basically his interpretation was this. David is very good at helping people get the you-know-what out of their life. I won't use the word. And the prayer and the prophetic team here feeds him through their ministry. Well, when he shared that with me, I immediately felt in my spirit that I was to share a message on how to get free and how to stay free. And I actually believe it's not just me, but I believe Living Hope Church is really good at helping people get the things out of their life that need to be flushed. And that today, I'm going to share 10 principles about how to get free and how to stay free in your life. Now listen, some of you, you're going to take these principles and you're going to need to get alone and apart for three or four hours and really take these things before the Lord before you get really free. Others of you, God may speak something on one or two of these. It's going to be exactly what you need, and actually today there could be breakthrough for you. So I get that sometimes there's breakthrough immediately, and sometimes it's a process, but I'll tell you what I know. I know that Jesus Christ came to set the captives free, and I know this, that he didn't shed his blood and rise from the dead so that you could live in misery, bitterness, turmoil, and strongholds. I know that. 
Because the Bible says that the Son will set you free, you shall be free indeed. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And some of you today, you need to take ownership for your freedom. You need to take ownership for your victory. You need to take a stand today and say this, and I want you to repeat it after me. Enough is enough. Say it louder. Enough is enough. God wants you to live in freedom. Did I, does that mean it's going to be easy? No. Does that mean it's always going to be instant healing and instant deliverance? No. But I do know this. He came to die, shed his blood, rise from the dead, give you his Holy Spirit so that you could walk in freedom. The Bible says that we are in a battle. And 2 Corinthians 10 talks about strongholds, the pulling down of strongholds. And today, by the grace and the power of God, we're asking him to pull down some strongholds in your life. And so I'm excited to see what God does in your life through this. Now, I also recognize every one of these 10 points, I am doing a quick flyover. Every one of these points could be a message in and of itself, could actually be a series in and of itself. And if you've been around here very long, there's nothing I'm sharing today that you haven't already heard. But it's packaging it in one message so that you can see these are 10 biblical principles for getting free and staying free. And I'm also not going to cover everything. I can't cover today things like mental illness, things like prescription drugs, what part that plays in all of this. But these principles are tried and true. And the first is this, and it's the most important. Without this one, none of the others are possible. And that is the gospel of Jesus. You must be born again before you can get set free. You need the presence and power of God. Until you're saved, until you have Christ in your life, you cannot get free. So when he comes to die for your sins, he came to give you forgiveness. He came to give you a relationship with him. And so the first and the most important principle in all of this that makes all the others possible is simply the gospel of Jesus for salvation to be born again. Look at the verse that comes with this number one point. Revelation chapter 3, and I love this image. Jesus is standing at the door of your life, and he's knocking. And if you will humble yourself, admit your sin, put your faith and trust in Christ alone, what does he promise to do? If you invite him to come in, he says, I'm going to come in. I'm going to come into your life, and I'm going to begin to change you, and we're going to begin a relationship. That's why I love Christianity. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Christ comes in, and I love this picture. I'm going to sit down and eat with you. Isn't that a great picture? Christ is at your table. Christ wants to eat with you and have this relationship where you're exchanging thoughts and feelings, and you're getting to know one another. It's a beautiful picture. And that's why I love the little booklet that we have in the lobby. It's called My Heart, Christ Home. Jesus comes into the house, and what does he do? He goes from room to room, and he starts rearranging things. He doesn't shame the person, beat the person up when they're out of line, but he goes in the library and he sees some pornography on the shelf and he kind of says, mm, uh, this is not healthy. <laughs> this is not going to give you love, joy, and peace. Let's take this down and let's replace it with something better, my word and truth. I love that picture. And then he begins to smell something. He goes and he's been living there for a while and he smells this strange odor. And Jesus says, I think there's some stuff in the closet that's been pushed aside that we need to get rid of. There's some garbage in that closet, and it's stinking up the house. And he goes, let me go in there so I can clean it up, and get this house smelling better. That's what the relationship with Christ is all about. And so the first point in being set free 
is having that relationship with Christ. Have you been saved? Do you know today for sure that you're saved? That you've invited Christ to come into your life? If there's any doubt at all, get that settled today. Because you cannot be free. I cannot be free if you don't have Christ living in your life. Now, the person in the Bible that I want to bring up with almost every point today is Peter. Because if there's anybody that needed to be set free, if there's anybody that had problems, if there's anybody that blew it time and time again, it's Peter, right? So I can identify with him. I'm like, Peter's my guy because I can really identify with him. He denies Jesus. He's walking on water and falls down. He's often putting his foot in his mouth and saying weird things. But Peter was not changed until after Christ died and rose from the dead. Peter had tried to change himself. He had attempted behavior modification. Ten steps to a greater life. Do it in the flesh. No, never worked. Until Christ shed his blood, died on the cross, and Peter got born again. Now when Christ comes into your life, what's the next thing that's the most important? Second principle for getting set free today is the power of God. Because when you receive Christ in your life, the Bible says this, the Father comes to indwell you. The Son comes to live inside of you. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ lives in me. And then the verse on the screen, Romans chapter 8 says, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you if you're a born-again Christian. You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. You put that problem, you put that struggle, you put that area that you need to be set free today up against the power that raised Christ from the dead, and your problem and your struggle is tiny compared to that. You've got to believe that. You've got to accept the fact that the power and the presence of God in you is so much greater, so much stronger, so superior to that area of struggle you have. That's why the believer were changed from the inside out. You don't change yourself by trying harder. You don't change yourself by behavior modification. You are changed as the living God is allowed to empower and live his life in you and through you. That's the power of God. Take that issue, take that struggle, and put it up against the power of God. Put it up against the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Peter was transformed after Pentecost. He was a different person. He went from fear and anxiety to being a man of boldness and faith after he was filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Third principle for getting set free. And this one is one we often don't think of. And we often think, well, this is just for those feely people, those emotional people. No, 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 no. I am more convinced than I've ever been in my life that understanding and receiving the love of God will help to set you free. When I was at Trinity Seminary in Chicago, there was a counselor that I developed a relationship with. And he said to me, David, I spend 98% of my time in counseling trying to convince people that God loves them. Because when they get that, when they really receive that, when they understand the incredible depth of the unconditional love of God, things change. And I challenge you today, do you believe that God loves you? It's transformational. 
In Ephesians 3, Paul is praying that those believers would grasp the height and depth and width and length of his love. And then he says this, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Did you catch that? How do you know something if it surpasses knowledge? Sounds like a contradiction. No, it's not. It's saying that it's not just a matter of information, it's a matter of revelation. It's not just knowing it here, it's knowing it here. And then when you know it here, it says this, that then you will be filled to the fullness of God. Now, would you not agree with me today that if you're filled to the fullness of God, you're going to see victory and freedom in your life? And here it says that one of the keys to knowing and being filled, being filled, having the fullness of God in your life is knowing and receiving by faith his incredible love. That he loves you even in your mess. He loves you even with your... He loves you despite your failures. And Peter, I believe Peter, got this. I actually believe that when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me three times... In John 21, it was to correspond to the three times he had denied Jesus. And I think underneath that, do you love me, is do you receive my love? Do you really believe that I still love you, Peter? That I've not given up on you? And listen, some of you have been lied by the enemy. You've you've allowed shame and condemnation to keep you in captivity. And God says to you today, believe the truth that I love you that I created you, that I came to earth to die for you. I love you with an infinite, indescribable, everlasting love. My love is unconditional. It is transformational. It is personal. It is something that nothing can separate you from. God loves you today, right where you're at. Quit listening to the lies of the enemy. Take ownership for your growth and freedom today. Choose today that you're going to stand on what God says. You're going to quit listening to those lies. You're going to quit listening to that shame that comes from the enemy. And you're going to stand on the truth and freedom that Christ has died to give you. That's yours today. His incredible love. I have seen this in my own personal life. One of the things that allows me to maintain joy in ministry is knowing that God loves me. As long as I am faithful to do what he's called me to do, I don't have to take responsibility for the fruit. I used to get so frustrated when people didn't respond the way I thought they should. When people didn't, did, when the church didn't grow like I thought it should. I used to get all up in arms because you know why? Because I was getting my identity from my behavior. I was getting my identity from what people thought of me or how big my church was. Now it doesn't matter. I can literally say it doesn't matter. I'm going to love God. I'm going to preach his word. I'm going to lead in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to leave the results to God. We plant, we water. God causes the growth. There's such freedom in that that I don't have to make things happen. That's the Lord's job. And as a parent, oh, let me tell you, This is so applicable in parenting because parents, don't we want to try to change our kids? Don't we want to try to make our kids be the way we want them to be? And we get all stressed out when they don't do what we think they should. And it's a huge game changer when you can rest in the love of God, not only for yourself, but for your kids. God loves my children more than I do. 
And I'm going to love them, and I'm going to do all the things that I'm called to do as a parent, but at the end of the day, I can't change my kids. I can't change my spouse. I can't change, name the person that you struggle with. But when you are comfortable and content and you rest in the unconditional love of God, it sets your heart free from all that stress and anxiety that can ruin our joy. I could give so many examples of the love of God in the Bible. Hosea, the prodigal son. And again, I think Peter really, really, really entered in to the love of God, and that was one thing that helped to set him free. Now, this next one flows out of number three. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. Isn't that an interesting verse? We often think repentance. Somebody comes down hard on you. Change your behavior. Get your act together. You know, we think the firmness, the sternness, the wrath of God is going to lead you to repentance. But what does it say? It's his kindness. The more you understand his love and his grace and his mercy and his kindness in the midst of our mess, man, when you get that, you want to do this next one, and that is repent. Repent. And repentance is a continual activity in the life of the believer. Now, we repent initially for salvation. We turn from our sin. We put our trust in Christ alone, and we're born again. But repentance is something that is to be ongoing in the Christian life. Anything, whether it's a behavior or a thought, that is contrary to the will of God, we are to repent of. So it's not just, you know, quit having sex with your girlfriend that you're not married to. I mean, yeah, you need to repent of that. Or quit looking at pornography. Yeah, you need to repent of that. Or, or whatever it is. But it can also be a thought. When I recognize that I'm believing something about God or myself that's contrary to the will of God, I need to repent of that. So repentance, which is a turning, and it ultimately is, you could put repentance slash surrender. Surrender is a huge part of getting free. I mean, the 10 steps, which were originally all Christian, by the way, it wasn't higher power, it was Jesus. The 10 steps were originally put together by two believers. And the step one was to recognize that I cannot change myself. I am powerless, and I need Jesus Christ to change my life. That's called repentance and surrender. Surrendering to the control of God in your life. And the Bible says here that when we repent, look what happens. I love this. Repent then and turn to God so that, look at the result, so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. What a promise. Amen. Nora, I love that. Wow. Refreshment. God wants to refresh you. God wants to bring his waters of refreshment, encouragement to you. It comes when we repent. And so you lay out before the Lord and you say, God, show me anything in my life that is displeasing to you. Lord, I'm serious about having freedom. God, I want the freedom you died to give me. You get before the Lord and you say, God, show me anything in my life that might be displeasing to you. And when you see it, you turn from it, and then his waters of refreshment begin to come and flow in your life. Two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and Judas, both made horrible mistakes. 
Peter denied that he knew Jesus, and Judas betrayed Jesus and handed him over to be arrested. Peter repented. He was sorry not only for what he did, he was sorry for who he offended, Jesus. He wasn't just sorry he got caught. He was truly sorry that he did it, and thus he repented. He turned in weeping repentance, and thus he received the grace and mercy of Christ and was restored. Judas, on the other hand, was bound in shame and condemnation and took his own life. Repentance will lead to refreshment from the Lord. What do you need to repent of today? Number five is the Word of God. The Bible says the truth will set you free. Where do we learn truth? We learn it from God's Word. All Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. Hebrews 4 and 12 says that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Psalm chapter 1 says that the blessed is a man who meditates on the word day and night. For he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Jesus said in the gospels that there were two houses. Both had storms come. One built on the sand, the house crumbled. The other built on the rock of the word and it did not crumble. If you and I are going to live a life of freedom, joy, peace, we need the word of God in our lives every day. It's here that we learn the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about life, the truth about what to think, the truth about spiritual warfare, the truth about everything. Aren't you glad today that God gave us His Word? Where would we be today without His Word? Give praise to God for His Word today. Man, His Word is rich. It's deep. It's got milk for the youngest believer, and it's got a big T-bone sirloin, perfect steak for the more mature believer. It's his word, and you chew on it day and night, meditating, and it will help to set you free. You say, well, pastor, I'm, I'm not walking in freedom. I'm struggling. I got habitual sin in my life. I got addictions. I'm bound by bitterness and anger. What is it that you need to be set free from today? I'll tell you, to, to get set free, you have got to be a man and a woman of the Word. You take His Word before Him. You pray His Word. You believe His Word. You stand on His Word. And listen, I know some of you, it's like you're very feelings-driven. If I don't feel it, it must not be true. And you're very emotion-driven. Listen, faith is putting your Trust in his word regardless of your circumstances or feelings. You may not feel a certain way about yourself, but you stand on what God says about you. The word of God is so important in getting set free. And speaking of a huge area that I've already touched on many times, and it was definitely in Jeff's testimony today, number six is huge, your identity in Christ. Oh, my goodness. Gail, do you agree? Very little is, you know, knowing God accurately, next to the gospel, of course, knowing God accurately is huge. Next to that, knowing who you are. It's huge. This is huge, you guys. This has been a game changer for me. For the first two years of my Christian life, I lived a very performance-oriented life. 
I got my identity from my behavior and what other people thought of me. But when God began to show me who I am in him, it so set me free. I didn't have to perform to earn others' approval. I didn't have to perform to get God to love me more. There was such rest and joy that comes when you believe what God says about you. And I'm convinced this was huge in Peter's life, which is why he writes the very verse on the screen. Peter says, you're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. That's your true identity. You, if you're in Christ today, you're accepted by God. You're loved by God. You're righteous in Christ. You're a child of God. You're a member of the family of God. You are gifted by the Holy Spirit to serve. You are accepted by God. That is your true identity. Believe it. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. At the very top of Satan's job description is to accuse believers, to condemn you, to get you to believe things about yourself that are not true. And I'm convinced this was huge in Peter's life because of his failure. He could have let his past define him, but instead he let God define him. Don't let your past define you. Don't let your sin determine you. Let God tell you who you are. And I'm telling you, you get one of those little bookmarks like we have out in the lobby. These are powerful. You start speaking these truths to yourself, it's transformational. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord in one spirit. These are all based on scripture. I am bought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's family. I am a saint. I have been adopted as God's child. I have access to God through the Holy Spirit. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good because I love God and I'm called according to his purpose. And on and on this list goes. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Begin to stand on your identity. God did not send his son. Jesus did not shed his blood so that you live in misery and strongholds. He died to shed his blood so that you live in victory and freedom. Is it easy? No. But when you do it God's way, it works. It works. We've heard that from Jeff today. There's testimonies throughout this room that can say the same thing. Number seven, and this one's huge, demonic deliverance. Now, I have taught on this quite a bit in the last few months. And again, we're just scratching the surface today. I'm giving you ten principles today of how to get free and stay free. And so each one, again, could be a series in and of itself. And if you want to go deeper in this, go back, listen to some of my other messages or email me, and I'll give you plenty more on this. But here's what I want to say here. If, listen closely, if an area of our life that we, that we continually struggle with or that we can't seem to get victory in has a demonic component to it, then don't you need to get rid of that? This doesn't mean that every problem has a demon. But I have seen that most Christians are very ignorant of how Satan works. And again, we've talked about this before, but you can go to one of two extremes. You can blame everything on Satan. 
You know, the guy that doesn't put gas in his gas tank, he runs out of gas on the loop, and he's trying to cast a demon out of his car. No, dude, there's no demon responsible for that. Come on, take a walk to the gas station, get gas, fill up your tank. Your problem will be solved, okay? On the other hand, there can be people who just ignore the enemy. They think he doesn't exist, or they say, well, that was in the Bible, it doesn't happen today. Paul said we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So we are not to be ignorant, but we're not to also blame him for everything. Let me give you a good example. Matthew or Mark chapter 9, verse 25. It's the father who comes to Jesus and the son is demonized. And Jesus, it says, rebukes a spirit of deafness and muteness. So this kid couldn't speak or hear, and it was caused by a demon. Again, that doesn't mean that every problem or every physical issue is demonic. But in this case, it was. He could go to the doctor till the cows came home. He could take all kinds of prescriptions or even have surgery, and it might not take away the guy's problem. In that case, it was demonic. And so if you're going to get free and stay free, you need to at least have in your worldview the possibility that it could be demonic. And if it is, deal with it. And the good news today is Jesus is more, vict- is more powerful than Satan. And so if it is a demonic issue, you can do exactly what James 4 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. It's not that complicated. (laughs) You submit to God. Why? Because that takes back the ground that you gave to Satan in the first place. You take back the ground that you gave the demons in the first place. You say, what are you talking about? Ephesians 4.27 says, don't give the devil a place. That word literally in the Greek means property. Now, if you think of your spirit as the house, Satan and demons cannot enter your house. That's possessed. If you're saved, you're possessed by the Holy Spirit. But you also have property outside your house. That's your soul and your body. If you give place to the enemy, legal ground, then he can come on your property. He cannot enter your house, possession, but he can come on your property, oppression. And if you have consistently sinned in certain areas, especially like sexual immorality or bitterness, those type of things, that gives place to the enemy. You've given a legal ground to demons. And so you may need to have deliverance by submitting to God, take back the ground, confess it to God, renounce that. God, I confess that I have violated your holy word, In this area of my life, sexual immorality, let's just take that one because that's a big one. And I renounce that. I repent of that. I confess and I renounce that and I command any demonic spirits that I've given ground to to be gone in Jesus' name. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. It's not that complicated, but I'm telling you it works. If you gave place to the enemy in that area of your life, then you need to submit to God, you need to resist, verbally command those demonic spirits to leave. Sometimes you need the reinforcement of others, we'll get to that point in a minute. But you are able to do this yourself if you have the Holy Spirit in you, because 1 John 4, 4 says, greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. I've seen people set free. I've seen people when they get alone with God or they get in a prayer session and they deal with the potential of the demonic, they are free. It's like this weight has been lifted. They never imagined that it could have been a demonic spirit. The Bible says we battle not against flesh and blood. 
1 Peter 5 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, but resist him, standing firm in your faith. Put on the full armor of God. Resist the evil one. So my bottom line with spiritual warfare is always this. Better to cover the base and not need to than need to and not cover it. So if there's any doubt in your mind, if there's any possibility that that problem or struggle could be demonic, deal with it. Do James 4, 7 and let the Lord set you free. Praise God he won the victory. Praise God Satan's a wimp compared to Jesus. Satan is a wimp compared to Jesus. We don't need to live in fear, intimidation, and allow those strongholds to rule our life. We can have freedom. Beloved, stand and claim the freedom that Christ came to give you. All right, number eight. One of the biggest things that can clog a toilet, (laughs) if we're going back to the dream, is bitterness and unforgiveness. Ooh, this is huge. So many people live in bondage because they've been hurt by another and they hold bitterness in their heart. Oh, beloved, don't let that happen to you. Don't let it happen to you. Matter of fact, in that verse that I just quoted, Ephesians 4.27, don't give the devil a place, the next few verses talk about bitterness, anger, relational conflict. Bottom line, guys, is this. We're all going to get hurt. Welcome to humanity. Jesus said that in this world you'll have tribulation. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they mistreat me, they'll mistreat you. Life is going to throw you hurt all the time. The the issue is, are you going to let it stick to you? That person hurts you. That person offends you. That person speaks ill of you. That person betrays you. Whatever. Listen, I've had to deal with this more this year in my life than any time in my Christianity. But I'm telling you, this principle works. Somebody hurts you, somebody offends you, and you begin to take up bitterness. You begin to hold resentment. You refuse to forgive them. Guess who's in bondage? You are. (laughs) They say that that unforgiveness is the only poison you drink thinking it's going to kill another. Oh, I'm going to drink this bitterness poison thinking it's going to kill the person who hurt me. I'm going to get back at them by being bitter at them. That doesn't get back at them. They've probably gone on with their life. They don't care what you're doing anymore. You're the one that's the prisoner. You're the one that has this invisible chain tied from you to that other person. You're allowing them to control you by not forgiving them. Oh, you say it that way? I don't want to let my past abuser or my person who divorced me or that person who did that to me, I don't want them to control me. Then forgive them. Release it at the cross. So you're not invisibly tied to them anymore. I love this quote. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. (laughs) So how do we do this? Well, let's go back to the point. The scriptures tell us how to do this. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The key to being able to release people to God and forgive them is recognizing how much God's forgiven you. And that's the parable in Matthew 18. Remember that? The guy that's forgiven and then he turns around and won't forgive the guy that owes him less? 
You said, yeah, but I've never, I've never sinned like that person has sinned against me. Outwardly, you might not have. But we're all so guilty before God and he's forgiven us so much that it's on the basis of our recognizing how much he's forgiven me that I can then forgive those who hurt me. And there's such freedom when you do this. You release them to God. You just say, God, I forgive. And it's, a, it's an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. You don't wait till you feel like it. You do it in obedience and you say, God, based upon your amazing forgiveness of me and your amazing grace and love in my life, which I don't deserve, I, by faith and through the power of the Spirit, I forgive so-and-so for so-and-so for, for whatever they did. And even sometimes it's important to name the feeling which made me feel this way and I release that to you, God. And even as you do that, sometimes you're saying, God, give me the grace to do this. He will. If you ask, he will give you the grace. And sometimes it's a 70 times 7 thing. It's not always just gone the minute you do it the first time. Sometimes you have to repeat it and do it over and over. But I'm telling you, even when you do that, the freedom and the grace and the sense of liberty comes. It's an amazing thing. Isn't it amazing, you guys, that God is so wise and gives us such standards and principles and truths that apply to everything we struggle with. God knew that you would struggle with this. God knew that you would be hurt. God knew that you would have bitterness in your heart toward that person who hurt you. And thus, he gave you the solution. He gave you the answer. Freely you've received. Freely give. Some of you today, this is the key. Some of you watching online, this is the issue right now that the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on. You've held that bitterness. You've held that resentment in your heart. And you know what? It is killing you. It's killing you. That's right, right there. It'll keep you in bondage. It'll hold you captive. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to keep you captive. But when you release that to God, by faith, I forgive so-and-so for doing this. Man, the liberty and the freedom that comes. God blesses obedience. His grace begins to flow when you humble yourself and can release that person to God. Do it today. Do it today. Hmm. Such freedom that comes when you obey God. All right, number nine. Got two more to cover. Then we'll take a few questions. And Jeff did a great job talking about this. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave us alone in this journey? Supportive relationships are so key in the healing process. You don't go at it alone. You do exactly what it says here. Look at this passage. Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, sometimes that toilet gets so clogged, sometimes that toilet has such issues that you do what? You call a plumber. Hello, you don't try to do it yourself. You call the plumber. And we need each other. And God has given us his precious body called the church. And I love that we have so much available here for you. We have these home groups we're starting. We have Ironman groups for men, noblemen groups for men. We have celebrate recovery we have step studies within celebrate recovery so many options we have a counselor that comes once or twice a week to meet with people there is an abundance of help right in this room for you 
(laughs) If you will but humble yourself, admit you have a need, don't try to do it yourself, and let the body of Christ be the hands and feet of Jesus for you. Amen. Aren't you glad? Again, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. He gives us his word. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And he gives us his people. All of that. So important. In getting free and staying free. All right, this final one is called time. You know, sometimes God brings, boom, instant deliverance and healing. Other times, and this is probably more the norm, it's a process. You know, I wish sanctification happened quicker. (laughs) I wish sanctification wasn't as slow of a process as it sometimes is, but the bottom line, it's a process. And, you know, think, think about that problem or that area maybe that you need to be free in. Picture it as a hill. Picture it as like a hill, a hill of dirt. Sometimes, aren't you glad God brings a downpour? just a big storm, and it just levels that hill. But his normal way of working is usually a little rain here and a little rain there, and you keep seeing that hill just come down. And so the process of time is huge in the equation of getting set free. As we behold the glory of God, we are being transformed. That's a process. From one degree of glory to another degree of glory, to another degree of glory. And ultimately, who who does it? By His Spirit. All right, let's review the ten points we've learned today, and then we'll take a few questions. The gospel of Jesus, make sure you're saved. The power of God, once you're saved, you have the presence of God in your life. Oh, receiving and believing His great love. Repenting of not only behaviors, but thoughts that are contrary to His will. The Word of God, making it a part of your daily life. Believing and standing on your identity in Christ. Dealing with anything that may be demonic. Forgiving those who have hurt you. Having supportive relationships in your life. And allowing all of these things to operate under the umbrella of time. And you will see your life in freedom and joy and victory. All right, let's take a few questions. Robert, if you and somebody else, the two mics are right there. You can uh, raise your hand or text those in. One question from first service that I'll repeat as we kind of get things going here is, uh, and somebody asked a very good question about forgiving an abuser but also having boundaries. And that is so important that forgiveness doesn't mean you have to stay in the abusive relationship. You forgive the person to get freedom in your heart, but you love yourself properly, biblically enough to say, I don't deserve to be treated this way. And so you create boundaries and you hold accountable that person who has abused you. That is just as biblical because God is also a God of justice. Good morning, Pastor. Hey, brother. Uh, And when you're talking about demonic deliverance, once you cast those demons out, does something else have to take its place? Or Oh, great point. Thank you. So in that, that scripture, I can't quote the chapter and verse, but it's when Jesus said that the demons leave, and if the house is swept clean but not reoccupied, seven demons more powerful than the first come in and re-inhabit. 
So when you see the exit of demonic spirits, absolutely crucial, you fill that space with godly stuff. And so there's a void now. You fill it with the word. You fill it with praise and worship. You fill it with godly relationships. You fill it with pure thoughts. So yes, otherwise you are vulnerable to the demons coming back and even reoccupying occupying at a more powerful level. And a lot of people get confused when they read that because they go, well, the house is swept clean. That seems good. Well, yeah, it is, but it's left unoccupied. So you don't, you don't leave that house in a, in a state of vulnerability by not having it occupied by godly things. Great question. Thank you. Um, the process, do you feel like God has it be a process so that we'll praise him in it and not ourselves? Sorry, I'm having a hard time hearing. Say it one more time. Sorry. Um, when, when you were talking about the process, how it takes God a process to go through things, do you think it's so that we'll praise him and not ourselves for oh, getting through it? Absolutely. So in other words, why is it sometimes a process? I think it's to build our faith. I think it's to build our character. And absolutely to show us that we need to constantly say, stay dependent on him, give him the praise, not ourselves. All of that is involved. Absolutely. And I think, too, it's, you know, it's, that, it's, that, it's that abiding principle, John 15. If you abide in me, that means you stay connected. It's a daily you know, dependence on God. It's not kind of a one and done. Oh, I got that done. Now I can, just can, you know, now I can go back to living for myself. Not at all. It's, it's to stay in constant connection and dependence and trust in him. Somebody asked online, how do you know when you've truly forgiven someone? What if the hurt is still there? Great question. How do you know if you've truly forgiven? Well, first of all, you do it by faith. You do it by faith. You, you, you say, God, in obedience to you, and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you through the whole process, I choose to forgive blank for blank, which caused me to feel blank. I release them to you. And I will say this, that often it takes time for that hurt to diminish. So just because the hurt may still be there doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. And so what I say to people is every time the hurt or the feeling reemerges, let it be a signal to either re-forgive or claim that you already have forgiven them. And that can be part of the 70 times 7. So if you believe that with a, you know your heart, in the sincerity of your heart, you've truly forgiven, but then the next day, and I'll give you a good example. A woman that I counseled for a while in Wisconsin, she had gone through a divorce and had a lot of hatred and and, and issues with her, with her husband that divorced her. And he was unfaithful and a lot of other stuff. And so when, when we walked her through the principles of forgiveness, she forgave him and she said the next day, probably 30 times, feelings of, of still hurt and pain toward him came up. Every time those hurts came up, she said, God, I re-forgive him. Or God, I claim that I've already forgiven him. God, I, I release him to the cross again. Day two, 15 times. Day three, ten times. You know where this is going. Day four, five times. And it was about a week process to where she literally called me and said, I've had no feelings of ill will toward my former husband. So yes, it takes time. And you just keep claiming it and keep throwing it at the cross. And the feelings will eventually come in line with the will of God. Because he came and he said the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. And so he wants you to have love. He wants you to have joy. He wants you to have peace. And when you obey his word, it does happen, but it does, sometimes does take time. Okay, what if you keep falling back into habitual sin even after, you've, even after you've asked for forgiveness and repented? What if you keep falling back into habitual sin? You just continue to repent. You continue to repent. 
You continue to claim your identity in Christ. You continue to ask to be filled and refilled and refilled with the Holy Spirit. And I just say keep doing it and eventually that habitual sin will diminish. And if you need to get that James 5 prayer from others, do that. You know, if you're doing all this and it just doesn't seem to be producing the fruit, that's when you call upon your brothers and sisters. And you go into a time of, of, of more concentrated prayer, maybe fasting would be another thing I'd suggest here because remember that passage where these kind only come out by prayer and fasting? So sometimes fasting, what fasting does is fasting demonstrates, God, I am so serious about this. I'm not going to eat. I'm only going to drink water. I'm not going to eat. and I'm going to devote the time and energy that I would have spent in that meal seeking your face and getting my heart deeply right with you and getting dead serious. I mean, fasting gets the attention of God because it shows we are dead serious and giving up a need. Food is a need, not just a want. Food is a need. We're giving up a need for something we need more. Come on. And that's Jesus. So when you, get, when you forfeit a, a legitimate physical need for something you need more, and that is a spiritual connection with God, man, that, God just blesses that. Boy, these are good questions. Is it working? Cool. Um, so when we're born again and we're given the Holy Spirit, is it still possible for like a, de- a demon to enter our like, new spirit? Let me repeat what I said, a great question. No, he does not enter your spirit. Um, And if you've been here when I've taught on this before, I use the three circles, spirit, soul, body. Today I use the house as the spirit. So picture picture a person that owns a house and also has property. The house itself is their spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in the minute you're saved. He seals you until the day of redemption. Demons cannot enter your spirit, cannot enter your house, That is possessed. You are owned, you're possessed by God the minute you're saved. At the same time, he can come on your property. He can affect your soul, mind, will, and emotions, and your body if you give him a place. So picture the property being the soul and the body. And if you've allowed, if you've opened the gate through sin or through something that violates God's word, you've opened the gate, then those demons can access your property but they cannot own your spirit. All right, maybe one more. Worship team, why don't y'all go ahead and come up? Time for maybe one more. Right over here. Good good questions. He's coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. So how, how important is each of us, once we've been saved, to understand that we have a purpose, and, and if we don't, you know, we can be confused about what our purpose is, but that fulfilling that purpose for our life gives, what, meaning and satisfaction and fullness like nothing else. True, and I would put that under identity. Um, under your identity is your purpose, and so one of the things that I love about this little book, Mark, is there's I'm accepted, and there's about 10 verses. I'm secure, 10 verses. I'm significant. And that significance piece is about purpose, that you're gifted, that you're called, that you're, that you're the hands and feet of Jesus, that you can be used to help others and spread the gospel and bring healing to others. Matter of fact, next week's message, it's another one that's almost been birthed out of a prophetic word. I'm going to preach next week from Deuteronomy 29, 29. It's a message called File It. 
the need to come to the place in your life when you've had something happen that you have always struggled with, why did this happen? And you've been wrestling with why, and you can't seem to get that off your back. And the Bible says that the secret things belong to the Lord, the things revealed belong to man. There's certain things that we have to file in that file of I may never, know, may never fully know that this side of heaven, but I'm going to still trust God. And part of that key is realizing that some of the best healers are those who've been wounded, but they cling to God in the midst of that pain, and they're able to help others in a phenomenal way. And that deals with calling. That deals with being used. So I agree with you. That's a huge part. Well, Father, we thank you today for your word and these principles. And we ask you now to show us those areas that we need to give attention to. And I just encourage you right now, just say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just, just invite the Holy Spirit to point out maybe one or two of these principles today that you need to give attention to, even, me, even in this very room today. You can begin that process right now now, especially through humility and surrender, just saying, God, I yield to you. I forfeit the right to control my life. <laughs> I forfeit the right to be in charge. God, I humble myself before you, and I say, take over. Be the Lord of my life. Boy, all we've talked about today really is you could just put the lordship umbrella over that. Who's lord of your life? Are you in charge? Are you running the show? Or are you letting God run the show? As we prepare to take communion, I want to invite those on the prayer team or any elders you to begin to come now and partake so you're ready to pray with people be available to pray with anybody who needs prayer today and I want to draw your attention as the prayer team and the elders begin to partake I want to draw your attention to the screen there's one more verse I want to bring to your attention today is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ and is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ would you agree with me today that if we can participate with Jesus, we're going to have victory, right? If we can participate with God, we're going to have freedom. Here's one way to do it. There is power in these elements, folks. When you partake with a pure heart, I'm telling you, there's power in communion. There's healing in communion. Claim that today. And as you come when you're ready, come with a repentant, humble, surrendered heart. Hold that bread, drink that cup and partake and say, God, I want your life in me. I want your energy in me. And I want to participate today in a deeper way than ever in the body and blood of Christ. Some of you may want to partake in groups. I encourage you to do that. You come when you're ready. Father, we pray now that you would sanctify these elements and that we would partake with pure hearts, clean hands and a pure heart today claiming before you all that you have done for us, standing in the victory that we have because of your shed blood, your sacrifice, and your resurrection. You come when you're ready. And the prayer team's available too.